On the north side of Chicago It's the coolest bar in town And if you go up there You better just beware You're gonna find a bunch of clowns It's a mad, mad, crazy bar The whole damn place is just so bizarre Full of all the vice and sin where do we even begin? Tip your bartender. Hello, 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 everybody. Hi. This is Pub Crawlers. And this is Genius. Uh, thanks for tuning in once again to once another again, episode. Uh, you should thank uh, us for even doing this. Um, listen, I want to start right off the bat and thank Jordan for being here because he just had a really big weekend. Sure did. He just ran a marathon. Your first, right, Jordan? How did it feel? Awful? It's were you dying? By what, what what mile were you kind of like over it? 19. 19. Yeah, mile 19. That's rough. Well, I mean, just think what it's doing to your joints. and your, yeah. Were you properly fueling along the way? Good. He was hydrating. You were hydrating. Hydrating is important. Um, no beer, though. At the end, they, give, they hand you a beer. Goose Island did a special can. Did they? Did you drink it? Or did you throw it in their face? Oh, that's like the most delicious thing you can have in all those nutrients. Yeah, when's the last time you ran 26 miles? Never. When you were crossing the Rio Grande and oh, had to go God. through the desert? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. Um, did you feel happy with your time? He finished. What? The? I listen. People who run the marathon, they want to do this the marathon. This is first they one. You know what you don't want to do? You don't want to end up out in Twenty Second Street whining and crying in a little fetal position. You want to finish. Well, okay, but people are concerned about their time. It's actually a thing. Oh, fuck their time. Yeah, because you don't have a physical you bone lie. in your body. No, you can lie about your time. No, because it actually is live on an internet. On the internet, thank you, technology. So You're so is, lucky. You're so it. lucky this shit didn't exist when you were a delinquent. No, you know what? You know what? You know what the genius would have done? I would have done what the guy did. Some guy about five, ten years ago. We were all out in front watching it, and when they were coming, a taxi pulls up on Wheeland Street. Guy gets out with his full outfit, with his numbers and shit, jumps right in the goddamn race. So somebody yells to the cop. There's a cop here, and he says, "What the fuck you want me to do? Chase the guy? What?" No, guy took the cab for the first ten miles. Yeah, see, that's what the genius. And there remember, was no way for people to tell what back was, then. What, what was the broad in the New York Marathon? Remember her? The Ro- chief, Rosie, Rosie Ruiz. Ruiz. Yeah, remember she took what? the L. She took the L. She took the L. <laughs> yeah, she she like did she win or something? And yeah. then they found that she took the L. Oh my God. That's what the genius did. Anyway, done. well, Jordan ran every single step of that twenty-six point two miles. Congrats, Jordan. Um, that is a definitely a major accomplishment. Would you do it again? Really? Well, look, do how, it again. look how skinny I know. the guy He's is. He's meant to run. Yeah. Um, Goat Girl did the marathon again, her fourth. Crazy. Yeah, she and is. She energetic. She beat, I know, she beat her personal record by seven minutes, and her personal record was from 2013. So I, I told her she's, uh, she's, Moving faster going into her 30s than she was in her mid-20s. Well, that's encouraging. I know. So I don't know how happy she was about that comment, but uh, she did it. She felt great at the end. And we have to report that she took a terrible, terrible spill two weeks ago on her bicycle. She did. She got into a big bike wreck and wasn't really sure what was going to happen. And it was really sort of touch and go. But 
as Jordan can probably attest, she was so upset about possibly missing it because she just trained so much. And on top of that, it's like, A, you pay the entry fee, which is a lot of money. And then she, like, belongs to this club of athletes, and she does that to help with her training and her recovery. So she invested not only a lot of time, but a lot of money into this. And so she's just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to muscle through because I think I'd beat myself up. Now, so. see, I think if she had more sex, I don't think she'd be so eager to be out there running all the time. I think that this is a woman, this is her cry for help. For, as I don't, far as I don't concerned. think you understand hot people. Chick, I understand hot chicks, believe me. If there's one thing I understand, it's hot chicks. <laughs> all right, well, thanks for ruining that. Um, anyway, uh, excellent uh, show of athleticism by people in our world. Um, I am going to follow that up with another very exciting announcement. This is just really, really headline. A headline. Listen, I've been working my ass off. I'm excited. What am I supposed to because say? Because your, your voice, your tone of voice sounds very sarcastic. Oh, that's, my, your voice is so sarcastic. No, this is really exciting news. I know. I, I, it's so hard. It was so hard for me not to tell everyone ahead of time. Uh huh. Right. Anyway, I. <laughs> the exciting news is that you all have known I've been working on this exhibition. The Chicago Museum is a project I've been working on for a while. We're going to build the country's first beer museum of its kind. And we had the opportunity to create this exhibition, but today was the big reveal as to where it is. And I'm excited to announce that we will be hosting our very first exhibition at. The Field Museum. And for those of you who don't know where the Field Museum or know about it, when they filmed Julius Caesar with Marlon Brando, they used the field, the front of the Field Museum. Because I guess it does look like... Bet you didn't know that, did you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I didn't, but thanks for that. You're welcome. Uh, so yeah, the exhibition opens literally in like two and a half weeks, November 2nd. And it is up through 2020. So it's called Brewing Up Chicago, uh, How Beer Transformed a City. And it takes place in 19th century Chicago. And it looks at how uh, German immigrants came to Chicago and were really kind of um, foreigners, outsiders, and not very well liked, but muscled through, pushed through. And slowly built not only their lives, but the beer industry and Chicago. Who's doing the design? We had a great team. So it was myself and the curatorial team, my friend, uh, colleague, Brian Alberts, who just got his PhD in 19th century brewing history. Uh, a very well-known beer guy named Randy Mosier also was it. He's our, he's our 2D graphic designer. And then 3D graphics, exhibition graphics, uh, is a friend, colleague, and uh, Chicago Museum board member named Dan Oliver, who was the senior designer at the History Museum. Well, if you need a, need a really, you know, expert eye to come over and give it a final look over, I'm, I'm available. Oh, all right. And, and by the way, have you ever been to the Museum of Science and Industry and gone down and seen the, the original Old State Street? I used to work there. Well, my father designed it. Really? Yes. Another thing you didn't know. No. I don't know if it's still there. I haven't been there. For, I, I live a block away. I are you the Are you the only delinquent in the family? Uh, no. Um, well, I'm the only one that's done time. Let me put it that way. Okay, so I would go with a yes. That's an affirmative. 
No, I'm not the only one, but I'm the only one that got caught. You got caught. Yeah. All right. Um, So listen, yeah, that exhibit opens November 2nd. Uh, We're still raising funds to pay our bills. Uh, We're still looking for corporate sponsors. If you guys out there, somebody has an organization, a business with some marketing dollars and wants to reach over 2 million people a year. Wouldn't that be a natural for the breweries? Uh, yeah, but lo- people think breweries have a lot of money. The small breweries don't. They're not. It's not easy making money when you make beer. Yeah, but the big breweries have lots of money. Yeah, but you know, I'm, this is an exhibit with a hundred fifty thousand dollar budget, maybe, and then I've got a big museum museum to build. Maybe, maybe Jesse Jackson's kids, instead of uh, shaking down Chicago politicians, so that's why Daddy got on the goddamn Budweiser franchise in Chicago. Maybe those boys could pop up and. Uh, do a little something for the Bruce, for the Bruzeum. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm open to I'm open to suggestions. You guys can contact me. Uh, like I said, I think shake down the Jackson boys. I'll, I'll, I'll tell them I'll take down the painting of Jesse Jr. Um, canoodling, as an exchange, canoodling the, the chick for the uh, big expensive watch. Or maybe we should maybe I should say in exchange for sponsoring the exhibit, you will paint something for someone. I'm going to pimp you out like that. What do you mean? Somebody get somebody naked? What do you know what a, a pimp is? Yes, you? I know what a pimp is. So if I'm going to pimp you out, yeah, that means I'm going to sell you for something that I want. Oh, I see. So I have no say. No, correct. Oh, okay. So by the way, we have a guest here. Right? <laughs> All right. So I guess that's the cue to move on. Well, yeah, he's getting nervous. You get really concerned about the guest. You know what? I am. You know what? I think that's the key word we're talking about, concern. That's why I'm always here early. That's why Jordan is here early. I think you ought to learn the word concern. Go look it up in the dictionary, and you will see a picture of me when you get to the word concern. That's hilarious, first of all. Yeah, it's true. Secondly, I want to tell you all that for the first time ever, I'm not hungry or starving when I come to this thing because I actually went and had dinner with some friends and and what friends uh, so we got some oh, special girly, listening guests oh, here oh girly girl you went out to yeah girly girl my friend Sarah uh, is here and her beau Monk Monk that's an interesting name mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like the show Monk yeah. but I mean is that what your mommy and daddy named you Monk or is that kind of it's a surname oh surname. is it any relation to Jim Monk? <laughs> no? Okay. Dr. Monk, who worked on uh, John Wilkes Booth. Remember? They, I don't remember him, no. Well, they said that all monks were related. All monks are related, okay. At that okay. Time, oh, that, by the way, that so voice, this is the second half of the Jim Tui. Um, interview, and we had such a pos- uh, positive feedback. Even Ukraine Mike admitted he thought it was a terrific show. Where is Ukraine Mike? Uh, he was here. He's still getting over the jet lag. He just got back. He had to fly over to Ukraine for his kid's uh, birthday. His jet lag was kind of dragging his ass. He's a good writer. We'll see. Oh, there. All right. Okay. Okay. I think I will. All right. Well. Yeah, Ukraine Mike liked him on the podcast, and he thinks Ukraine Mike's a good writer. Oh, oh but by the way, they're friends. He took um, he took your Ukraine Mike over to the Sturch's reunion. This, this explains a lot, actually. 
What, like what? what, what you you said very some deeper kind of. No, interesting. I well, mean, I could, I'll tell you, I'll I, I could see the bromance there. Well, I can too. But if you've ever watched these two guys drink, that's what they I'm talking have very, about. <laughs> very similar style. That's what I'm talking they, about. They chug along. They don't drink like they chug along the high lifes. Yeah, they do. Bam, bam, bam. Which before we get to Jim's part two, what I want to say is, I was thoughtful enough to order pizza for you guys and bring it with me. So I want I also want to thank my pal Bill over at Peace Pizzeria and Brewery where we were because he he made that happen. He made a pizza. Yeah, I guess he made a pizza that's and exci- beer. That's exciting. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So finally somebody fed us. All right. All right. Enough of this extraneous bullshit. I want to talk about Tui's books. Two of you wrote books? He's written a whole bunch of books. But um, how many books have you written, Jim? Well, I, I did so many books about toy trains, I kind of lost track. Well, you, but, did, you did quite a few, yeah. Yeah, the, you know. Uh, but we did a basic series of on Lionel trains. Yes, I remember. W- which are collected, like stamps are and coins. So we did this collector series, and that was... Six hardbound books plus. Wait a minute. So, how did you get into trains? I knew a guy that was interested in it. He wanted to write a book. He had an idea for a book. Maybe I should do a little explanation here. Okay. Because Tui's too nice a guy. Tui was a nice enough guy. There was a guy, he was the husband of a, was it, was she on NBC? She was a street reporter or ABC? CBS when I met her. Uh, she, she was moved. CBS radio when I met her. Um, anyway, so this guy, he was a rich, preppy kid from the North Shore. And so he got to, he couldn't, he couldn't, he was a nuts on Georgetown crazy. Prep, by the way. Was he Georgetown Prep? Yeah. So, oh, we know some other people from Georgetown Prep, don't we? The uh, new justice, justice rapist. Um, anyway, so... Would you please put your goddamn phone away? It's it's flashing because of the time, Well, yes. turn it around so you put this over. Wait a minute. You want me to keep track of time, but you don't want I me don't to want put it up? We don't need to keep track now. My God. So so anyway, he can't do diddly squat, but he's nuts about trains. And if you went to his house, he had, they lived in a great big fucking mansion in Evanston, just overlooking the park by the lake. And so they, you went in this guy's basement, and he had this huge... Really, it was kind of bizarre, a guy at his age having this train, you know, uh, miniature train thing. Looked like the one at the um, Museum of Science and Industry. So anyway, Tui's writing all these books. They're doing great. I mean, I guess they're selling. I mean, they were selling. It was popular. It was a big deal. The guy, turns out, he's fucking around with the money. He's got some guy, an investor, was in Detroit or someplace like that. Well, the guy gets wise. He's getting fucked. So guess what he does? He blames Tui. He fucking guy. He's a really good friend. The only reason anybody was nice to this guy was because he was Tui's friend. I mean, he was a fucking boring guy. I'm not from surprised by your description of him to begin with. Yeah, and his old lady, of course, his old lady was. Uh, she, I think she she was she apparently banged some big shot at CBS to get her. Well, Tui's shaking his neck. I've heard otherwise. Anyway, 
So this whole thing was so. The guy fucks Stewie. I mean, then he comes around thinking we're you know, oh, oh, that's okay. Oh, well, no, it's not okay. It was total bullshit. So, and, oh, but, but, and the, as far as his wife's concerned, the reason she had to get out of the uh, get out of TV, McHugh worked with her for a while, and McHugh says once these broads get old, the ones on the street, it takes them too long to put their makeup on. So that's kind of the end of it. But this is the, the anchor broads. They got all the time in the world, but not the bras on the street. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. that was it. So Tui got fucked on that deal. Wow. I'm so glad we have a guest on to tell us his personal stories. Well, he's not going to badmouth the guy. That's why I'm here. All right. Well, even so he, wait, you, he, wouldn't, you wouldn't badmouth well, the guy, Tui? I, I, I think last time, uh, didn't he tell you how I met my wife? Maybe. Well, that was, that was, a, that was a love story, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, th- I think so. I, this, is a, this is a hate story. Anyway, so anyway, forget that. You got into some serious shit now. He's doing the Operation Grey Lord. Hang on, he wanted to talk about his trains. All right, we're talking about his trains. Okay, what about your trains? Well, uh, the only interesting thing about it is that we did create uh, quite a successful uh, group of train books. I mean, I didn't. Uh, so wait, I'm sorry. Okay, listen, I have a, I have a confession to make. I like trains, but I'm not into trains. If yeah, you know what well, I mean. well, he's not either, but he was the writer. So I know, but like, tell me, like, what were the books about? Uh, uh, toy trains are collected, like stamps and coins. Okay. Tom McComas, this guy I knew. Gets the guy who a, fucked you over? Gets, the guy who fucked him? Gets a bunch of trains one time, he claimed, from a guy that owed him some money, and instead of paying him in cash, he gave him a bunch of trains. And then Tom looked into the value of these trains and found out that the trains were worth more than the money that the guy had owed him, uh, like twice as much. So then McComas started investigating what toy trains are like, just like a person would if they got some beer cans. Uh, And uh, he found that it was difficult to uh, research because nobody had written about it. Uh, he got an idea then what we need what, what might make money is a book that would show people new into the hobby of train collecting what was valuable and what wasn't so oh, he, okay. so he um, did his own research he talked to experts he put together this book but then in doing the research he found out that the guy that started the Lionel company was a very interesting man named uh, Joshua and Lionel Cohen, and uh, that's where the Lionel comes from. And uh, I won't go into his whole background, but he ended up, he was a guy that invented the uh, like battery. Toy, the toy. Oh. Yes, the company that later became Everett and Battery. Uh, he had uh, invented the battery at the turn of the century. But, where, he didn't, was, he, but where, anyway. Where was Lionel founded? In Here? Uh, New York City. New York, okay. Yeah, and uh, anyway, he comes to me one day and says, I, got, I put this book together, but I found some interesting material about the owner, and I've read some of your stories, and I thought, how much would you charge if you would put this information about the owner, you know, sort yeah. of like a profile? Yeah. I said, from what he told me, I said, I, I, I charge it the same that they pay, say, at the Chicago Tribune magazine. At that time, I think it was 300 bucks or something. 
So I write this thing, and that takes care of that. But then he said, well, look at the stuff I already wrote. And I look at it, and it makes no sense. <laughs> it's like he, was, you know, he was semi-illiterate. Really. I mean, it's just... He, well, I mean, I guess he was playing with trains. So I start working, and then, you know, just one thing led to another. And after six months, along the way, he said, well, you know, I know this is no longer a $300 deal with but anyway, we do this book. It's about the, 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 the Lionel trains that were made after the Second World War. called, And uh, he borrowed $10,000 from a bank. And that's what we used to publish this book ourselves. And we charged 10 bucks each. We had 10000 of them. Anyway, we had to make $30,000 to break even. And we did that in the first month. We had 10000 uh, McComas had analyzed the market correctly, that, that, that there was a lot of interest from these trains. Where, where do they sell them? Did you guys we, go around and distribute them, or what? We, we sold them Did you directly. go to, like, trade shows? Right. Collector shows? Right. They have them all over, and they have two big ones in York, Pennsylvania. And, I mean, we was just people with the money was flying in. And, uh, plus... I insisted the books be real high quality because I was uh, starting to find out that a lot of these collectors were doctors or even the blue-collar guys were precision guys. Sure. And they knew quality. Yeah, but that's, that's probably why they're into the trains, right? Because yeah. of the craftsmanship in it. Exactly. The, and that's what I discovered. So I said, well, we, we give them the best paper, the best print, and the, you know, and best color book. And it worked. And this. One book led to another. I so mean, how many did you end up doing? Well, we did six in hard round, seven, and then another one with great toy train layouts of America that included oh. Frank Sinatra's layout. I brought that here uh, the other day. But, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But anyway, and it just, and we would finance the next book by uh, giving a pre-publication offer. We did, uh, you know, we and we give them, you know, instead of paying $15 for the book, you can order now, get it for 10 That's how we would. And we did this for 18 years, and then we went into videos. And, uh, oh, really? Yeah, we did 18 of uh, the great toy train layouts of America that we did in photography. Wow. We went and we did them in you know, so, videotapes. So, in the end, after all we, the We books... made millions of dollars. I okay, so it was lucrative. Well, we took in millions of dollars. Oh, boy, and here we, we go. This is a true alehouse regular story. No, I just mean We that. made all this dough, and then well, in an instant, we, we, we fucked, we, we uh, fucked uh, with the lawyers. No, no. We pissed somebody no, off. No, 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 this isn't that. No, this is like, fuck your buddy. It's a big difference. So but that guy took we all were, your money? <clears throat> <clears throat> that dude, that guy, took all your money. Oh, uh, no. Uh, he is reluctant he, to he, just he, stick the knife in and start twisting. As things developed at the end of our uh, 18, 19 years together, uh, he uh, we hooked up with a big millionaire guy from New York. I mean, from, uh, from Michigan, wasn't it? Yeah, Michigan. Uh, Richard Kuhn, he owned Lionel, he owns everything. He's one of the biggest collectors of cars, of everything. Uh, he, and uh, he became a partner of ours. And this is when McComas then started spending a lot of money. And ultimately, 
they kind of aced me out. They, 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 uh, oh, the guy wanted to know where his money was going. Yeah, and McCombus. And so he just pointed the finger at Tui. Yeah, he did. Essentially, that's what happened. Plus, McComas, he doesn't recognize patent law or, you know, uh, copyright law. <laughs> As a lawyer friend of mine said, uh, if there's not enough money involved, I mean, if you, you could go in the federal court, but to do that, you got to be talking about millions. Yeah, and you got to have a, expensive not, lawyers. Know, not a few thousand dollars that he's you know, nickel and dime me on, uh, not recognizing my copyright. Uh, so if, if the guy just doesn't want to, like Trump, if you don't want to obey the law, you just don't, wait, you know, see what happens next. But too, he was like his best friend. Yeah, he see, was. that was that was really. This was just something yeah, you just funny, don't do. Because we had become, one of the reasons it was complicated, we were not only business partners, but we were friends. And even though we made a deal with a handshake after the first book, when we knew we were going to do many more, and I agreed to get 25%, he would have 75%. Most of the time I didn't get that because I had a job and he never did. This was the only thing he did. So most of the years, I never got my share, but I didn't care. Because That's nuts. Well, Tui's well, not a businessman. Nobody's ever accused Tui hell? of being a businessman. Well, we were intermingled. It would be, you know, we were, the, 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 the funds were in the way. Yeah, I, I thought we were such good friends. That, yeah, he thought he was yeah. a pal. But, you well, know, but it turned out, I guess, he wasn't right. such a good friend. Oh, oh, I would put, say, put that mile there. But let's he's, uh, let's. He's got a website you can go watch. So he's it, still he's in split. business. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's got yeah. a big business. I think he's still raking it in. So you gonna fuck with him, Bruce? I'm a fuck. I mean, we just. No, did. you don't have to. Uh, I think maybe that business might be at the end though, because the whole. Well, he's got to be. He's got to be 80, doesn't he? No, he's younger than I am. I'm older, well, too. I'd say he's about 80. It, sound, it sounds like that business transaction went off the rails. Hey, you know, it's interesting how he got... He, it's his, the least his second mind. marriage is kind of interesting. Another pal of his, Jack Lane, was married to Why this Why do you got to like, talk well, about his kind of love story. life and personal life that's gone south? Well, what did you just ask me? Nothing. I didn't no, you ask said you were going to get him. I was oh, that guy, up, yeah. I was going to push... Can you talk shit about him? I'm going to talk about how he got married. The okay, continuing time. on then. His 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 um, his TV personality wife was. Um, she always had her eye out for something a little better. Let me put it that way. He was the most mm-hmm, interesting mm-hmm. guy. But anyway, so another good friend of Tui's, Jack Lane, who um, I think he, wasn't he over in Europe with Ebert doing that book? No, he was by himself. I, well, no, but Lane was out of town. I think he was in... Was so in anyway, Europe. so his wife his wife is walking down the beach over in New Buffalo, and she bumps into McComas, no, and was, violin music went off and all kinds of shit, and all of a sudden there was a couple divorces and a marriage. McComas came to me and said... Lane came out way better. He's got a much nicer wife now. Yeah, he's so, very nice. Her name is Danny. Okay, well... Um, Let's uh, let's go to his books. Let's now. still let's steer the story. His Greylord elsewhere because while I was uh, doing those train books, I was also working at Television News and I was working at the uh, Chicago Lawyer. The Chicago Lawyer. Yeah. Okay. That, that was a monthly publication. Was Rob Warden uh, part of that? He started it in the yeah. uh, effectively stuff. 
1978, uh, the Daily News folded and Rob Warden, who was one of their stars there, uh, was out of a job. Very smart guy. Very smart. And uh, uh, the uh, Chicago Council of Lawyers had sort of an in-house publication. That, and they needed an editor. Warden needed work, so he took the job. And usually those house organs are just, uh, you know, puff pieces. Is, is Warden still alive, by the way? Not only alive, he's still doing a hell of a good oh, job. Okay. Uh, but anyway, Warden took this house organ, and in the first issue, he found out a real good story. And so, like a good news guy, he turns it into an expose. I forget what it was, but... Uh, it made all the papers and television news, uh, some corrupted. I can't remember what it was. And uh, uh, the guy that ran the uh, publication at the time said, keep going, you know, we love it. Yeah. You can treat this you know, like a news organ if you want. And he did. He got me to write for him. Uh, and then we started doing these pieces. And... Uh, we got a lot. Of, we got a lot of new trials for people. Oh yeah, uh, wrongful uh, conviction stuff. I mean, they yeah. were the beginning. That was we, the we beginning were. of that sure. stuff. We were, and uh, got a lot of people out of jail. And then I did a piece uh, in early '81 that uh, put a lot of people in jail. Uh, uh, corruption in the courts, uh, uh, the branch courts. Uh, our story, because it was a small publication. Not too many people read it, maybe 12,000, but the important people read it. The well, FBI but, read it. Well, the US also, but the newspapers would comment about your stuff, too. Right, but my story was so complicated, and, and they didn't pick it up right away. It, it, What's it, the, okay, if we can if we can describe the story in, but, uh, or, or the, or the uh, whole I, scenario in like yeah, five sentences. Yeah, well, the judges were taking money. Uh, was this uh, gra- oper- Operation Greylord? Yeah. Yeah. You okay, so, well, for people no, who don't know, let's talk about what Operation Greylord well, was. Too, too. I'm at, what, what the hell do you think I'm doing? Well, you're, you're just what? jumping all over. <laughs> you want to cool your jets, mister. Tui, no, back know. to you. I have no intention of cooling my jets. Tui, back to Ms. you. Ms. Can you please succinctly tell us what Operation Greylord was? We gotta be succinct. Yeah, you're asking Dewey to be succinct. That's it. Because we have other ask, questions ask, to go ask to. Ask Dewey not to use uh, hand gestures too. Why I got that? Dewey, <laughs> <laughs> sit on your hands. Dewey, right, sit on your hands and tell me what's happening in, in about 20 words. Go. <laughs> you know what hustling is? In, in the legal I've been term. around the ale house for a while. Yeah. In the legal sense, it's when a lawyer goes up to you uh, in a courtroom and asks you if you want to hire him. You can't do that. Can't, uh, it's like the it's like the jokers who are waiting for accidents to happen. Bruce, it's called ambulance chasing. Although it's yeah. I, I know something about that. Yeah, let me help you out. Okay, okay. continuing on. So. Uh, in Illinois, uh, they, they, they allowed uh, lawyers to work for a defendant's bond. In other words, if you get stopped for something that you have to put up a $25 bond and you go to court, uh, and 
a lawyer could represent you, and if he gets you off, he gets the $25 bond money back. You get money. Sure. You know, the bond might be $100, it might be $1,000, but if you're found not guilty, uh, you get the bond money back. Well, they figured out a way to hustle this thing and, uh, and uh, steer the cases to certain lawyers, judges did. So a guy would come into court, say he was uh, stopped, and they took a gun from his car. Those are easy cases to win because the cops always search illegally. They don't care. They want the gun. So they stop a guy for a broken back light, then they search the whole car, find the gun, they go to court, the lawyer says, that's an illegal search, they had no probable cause to look for a gun in the guy's trunk, and the judge says, you're right, they throw it out. So the guy is free, he gets his bond money back, but not if the judge says, you, you can't represent yourself here, you have to go to that lawyer standing over there, and that guy comes up, and he says, that was an illegal search, judge, he said, you're right. Not guilty. The lawyer, the lawyer gets the, you know, the hundred dollar bond. That's what was happening. It was all these kickbacks. And I spent three months in the courts looking at these guys do all this shit. And, and uh, uh, anyway, it was a big deal because at first I didn't think it was such a big deal because nothing happened. But it took a long time. But the FBI and. And then one by one by one. Oh, it's just uh, so corrupt down there. I'm not I, I, sure it's a whole lot better. I, I, I mean, I, I, they have signs. If you go to any of the branch courts, those are usually courts above police stations or down, at, you know, wherever those small courts are, you'll see, in all courts, you'll see a sign. Don't, you, you can't. No soliciting. Yeah. Or, yeah. So the people, they, it warns them, I forget but how. But I still care. see it over on, over on Belmont Avenue. Yeah, yeah, uh, when I took fancy pants in court, they were yeah. out there hustling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's times that somebody else go out there. Yeah. <laughs> in this uh, journalistic environment, ha, ha, ha. But anyway, I, I once counted, uh, there was 43 people I named in the story, and 27 of them went to prison. Wow. That, that was a big story. I mean, that's that was really a big story. Those are some, there's a, some, uh, that's a good percentage. And it's he good, says Rob Ward's still, right still going strong. So Warden, then, but what we did the most was, uh, uh, for instance, the one that I worked the hardest on, I think, that had the biggest profile was uh, Jeanette Nacarico, a nine-year-old girl that was murdered in uh, Naperville. Oh, that, where they get that fake. And, yeah. and they had the three wrong guys. They arrested four guys originally, but... The arresting officer, good guy named Sam, good name for a detective. What was his name? Last name was Sam, John Sam. <laughs> he was an ex-Marine. And, uh, and John Sam, who arrested these guys originally, came convinced that they didn't do it, but the uh, uh, state's attorney out in uh, DuPage County was up for re-election. Which, which one was that? Who was the state's attorney? Well, this guy's name was uh, McKnight or something. Oh, uh, yeah, boy, there's been some scumbag. Uh, it was night later, but the, the other guy was Fitzgibbons. He was up for election, and he needed an indictment quick, so he indicted these guys. And uh, But anyway, they were all convicted. Uh, they didn't do it. The theory of the prosecution was that these four guys went into this house where this little girl was homesick from school that day, 
they went in to burglarize the place. I mean, four guys. And they saw the little girl and took her out and raped her. Four guys turned out also to be child molesters. And Sam says... Doesn't sound right. He said, you could fill up Soldier Field with child molesters and put a little child out there and nobody would move because it's a big, dark secret. Nobody wants that. No child molester wants anybody else to know well, the child Well, especially the guys in jail. Got jail boys. No, and, and, no. And he said... The idea that all three of these kids turned on to be child molesters and they took turn raping and beating up well, this Were girl. they Hispanic, too? Were they, uh, was, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And one, you know, one guy was a big dope. They were all No, mold. they were all assholes. I mean, no, it's no, just that's like... That's what some, Sam said. He called them mutts. It's just like the, uh, well, the Quan uh, McDonald. Yeah, he's an asshole, but, but are you supposed well, to shoot assholes when well, you don't in, like in, in, in our experience, getting guys off death row... You know, you didn't run into the well, you didn't best have, citizens in the world. Yeah, but you <laughs> didn't have videos. They just I mean, do videos, what they were accused of. Videos have changed the whole ball game as far as that stuff goes. Think in Chicago, just in our DNA. lifetime. Yeah, well, and DNA. Just think in our lifetime, all all a cop had to do is say, yeah, he had a gun, boom, I killed. Yeah. And they all had drop guns. Now, yeah. now they've got videos. It's a lot tougher getting away with uh, killing people just randomly. So it's a difference. So Tui, yeah, Tui was a big deal in all this stuff. So you turned all of your articles into a book. Oh, yeah. Warren suggested that. He said maybe... What's the name of the book? Greylord, Justice Chicago Style. See, Tui is the writer. Warren is kind of the... The brains. Yeah, all right. I think that's fair. a fair okay. assessment. So Greylord, Justice... Really good. Quite. Well, I, I read it. You don't, you, you don't have to promote it. It's not Why not? Free anymore. People well, might be interested okay. in this shit. Okay. You're Crime We're sells, Tui. That's right. That's right. What's it called again? Justice. It was Lord? called Justice. I mean, Grey Lord, which was the name of the FBI investigation that grew out of right. some of the stuff. Ju- justice. By the way, no, that was just something else. Justice something. Chicago style. Oh, well, Justice Chicago that, style. That reminds me. That reminds me of. Um, <laughs> he, hand, he handed me the book, and then that same night he took it away. I didn't read it in the forty-seven no, minutes. Well, you don't read all. You don't read a lot. I'll read it. For that, sure. The, the t- I'll put it in front of uh, California Jailbreak. Actually, the title Justice reminds me of what Lenny Bruce said so eloquently. Just about more about uh, mud. No, in the halls of justice, the only justice is in the halls. <laughs> and and that not truer words are never spoken. Well, uh, well Ryko's uh, blurb for us was... Uh, oh, he wrote the blurb? He wrote a blurb for you? He wrote me. He wrote me, he wrote, he wrote me three of them. Really? Oh, that's, that's cool. cool. Yeah. He came up with me and Billy go, which one did you pick? I said, no. He said, I thought you would. He said, you could use the other ones later. I said, don't worry, I will. <laughs> you know, That's great. Um, speaking of Royco, there was another columnist, and this would lead us into um, uh, O'Rourke's. We're going to talk about the old the uh, old bar O'Rourke's in a few minutes. But there was a, col- a columnist named um, Tom Fitzpatrick. Tom Fitzpatrick was, let me put it this way, the only guy that would really kind of like that probably the only human being in the whole world that liked Tom Fitzpatrick was Tui. They were pals. Tom, good, I mean, good pals. Yeah, very good pals. And um, 
but got me in trouble. Talk about a snake. I mean, this guy Tom Fitzpatrick was was an absolute snake, and and he was kind of a pussy snake. I mean, he was. What he, the fuck does that mean? It means he he, t- he acted like he was tough, and he I don't think he ever won a fight in his whole fucking life. The funniest one was he he was in the press box. He used to be a sports reporter. He was over at Wrigley Field. He's in the press box. He mouths. He's a total asshole. So of all people, it was a it was a Sox Cub game and so, that was put on by the two papers. Now guess who beat the shit out of him in the press box? Brent Musburger. He couldn't <laughs> lick his own lip. Well, uh, How would you like to add on your uh, resume? Brent Musburger kicked my fucking ass. Well, uh, 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 Musburger and I worked together. I I did a long story on Musburger, but. Uh, Guy was he I, ugly? Well, what an ugly guy! Uh, he wasn't ugly, and he was—he was a pretty good man, Brent. Uh, was he? I mean, he might be okay, but he sure was ugly. Uh, well, I'm excited I asked, that I—I uh, I, I asked Fritz about the fight. The fight was sort of a renowned fight among newspapers. Oh, very people. renowned! It, it was—it was an exhibition game between the Cubs and the Sox. And, and exhibition, Brent, my ass! That's—that's that's real shit. It wasn't an official game then. Okay, but it's still real. It wasn't real. part of the schedule. Yes. Well, who cares if it's official? I do. Uh, oh, but the point is, it was a fundraising deal. So all for the fundraising for what the owners? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the as fuck? A matter of fact, for, <laughs> for the for the Sun Times or the yeah. Daily News. You know. That, anyway, the papers benefited from it. I mean, it was one of their charities. So the Tribune people were there and the, the executives. Of, and so the executive, the story goes, Fitz, I, Fitz was stiff and he's in the back of the press box and in those days that press box, I think, I think it was a committee. Did they give him booze? Did they let him have booze there? And he, he, every time Fitz had finished a beer, oh, they did, yeah. he, he'd roll it down and it had sort of a corrugated floor and it'd go boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and kept rolling with Musburger and probably Musburger, you know, yells and so now they're grappling and they're leaning over the, uh, oh. the press oh, box been cool. window over the box seats and one of the guys, the, the publisher of the Daily News is there, said, isn't that one of your guys up there, you know, with, you know, with his neck sticking out with somebody's hands on it? And then, well, that is, that's fit. Okay, well, that's so I, I, when I got to that, all happened before I knew Fitz. But I said, did you win that fight against Musburger? And he said, well... I won it in the Irish sense, in that I kept getting up. <laughs> I mean, how does Brent Musburger beat up anybody? Well, my takeaway from this is that... But, oh, I wanted to mention, though, that right, Musburger, uh, that, that Fitz, kept quoting in the Halls of Justice, the only, he married him, oh, he married uh-huh, a, he married uh-huh, a lawyer. Uh-huh. So he kept using that quote, and he kept giving Abby Hoffman credit for it. <laughs> Every time I see him, I say, asshole, that's not Lenny... Uh, uh, Abby Hoffman stole that from his pal Lenny Bruce. Which, which, which line? The, uh, in the halls of justice, the only justice is in the halls. Thanks, Fitz used that like. No, I thought that was like goes back to. No, no, no. Lenny Bruce. Well, but Lenny Bruce goes back to the fifties. So yeah. No, before that. Well, you, you, you'd have to do the... Re- I don't think either one of us are prepared to do any uh, major research on that. My big takeaway from this is that I'm now going to refer to certain people as pussy snakes. As who? 
pussy snakes. What are pussy snakes? <laughs> are you kidding me? You just referred to Fitz as a pussy snake. Oh, he was a snake and a pussy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. By the way, the wow. quote, the quote that uh, Reiko wow. had for our book was, uh, Woody Guthrie said, some people rob you with a pistol yeah, and some, some people rob you with a pen. pen. Uh, yeah. He said, it looks like the lawyers in this book saw an opportunity and reached for the pen. Huh. Well, All right, so listen, we're going to, I love talking about crime and baseball. But let's talk about bars, and let's talk okay. about O'Rourke's and Cooper. All right. All right. I met, I believe, I met Tui at O'Rourke's, which was about not quite a block down the street from the alehouse, maybe a block. And um, it was, um, now, Tui and I go back pretty much the same time frame. And wait, did, did you ever drink at the... Um, Original Billy Gold on Well Street the when Bruce Oxford, I mean Aurora's. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I knew where was the original Aurora? Right around the. It was I think where the hotel where they I, tore it down. On the seventeen hundred block, perhaps, and it was right next to the Second Chance or something, which yeah, were, well, chances, were. yeah, yeah, and that's now the the Presidential Towers. So they tore it all down. Presidential Towers. It's a big, a big uh, condo no, no, building. No, 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 uh, Who gives a shit? Anyway, it was I'm around the... I do, because I'm trying to figure out what the fuck you're no, talking about. No, no, it, look right across from Treasure right, Island. No. Oh, There's okay. a huge high rise. Oh, Does that give you a clue? Does that give you a clue? Yes. The American, not American something. Yeah, okay. Americana right. Towers, which is what I said. You said Presidential. Presidential oh, Towers is right. South Loop. All right, well, West anyway, Loop, wherever the fuck it is. It's a tall West building. Yeah. You want me to referee? Big fucking deal. Yes. Did you... Big fucking deal. Anyway, Bruce Oxford. Appreciate the context. And he was kind of an interesting guy, wouldn't you by say? By the way, well, he started O'Rourke's. He and a guy named Larry. No, he did. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. He yeah, he was an ad it. guy. Larry, a, a friend of mine. Yeah. I but, knew about it before they opened. So he starts this bar. And it was kind of a clever idea. Oxford's certainly not an Irish name. What the hell kind of name English. would that be? Well, he's not, yeah. uh, but he had a, over here, not Oxford? far from right where we are, he had a little coffee house, Oxford's Coffee House. Well, and then he, then he got involved he got with Larry or whatever Lincoln Avenue. That was later. Yeah. Uh, he was part of the original works, and it was, well, no. it was the advertising <laughs> guy had the concept of an Irish pub well, with all the... Uh, I always got, gave Oxford credit for the whole thought, but the concept was, anyway, Irish bar, old town, probably in this middle 60s. So I guess in the middle 60s, an Irish bar in Chicago was a novel no, idea. No, but old town only had a couple. There was the Ale House. This uh, was not an uh, Irish bar. Asshole, Listen. Open your fucking ears, okay? I'm going to explain. There was only a couple bars. In, there was the that's ale. Bullshit. I'm just I'm naming. 60s? Yes, asshole. No. And you lived here. No. How dumb can you fucking be? And you're bars supposed to be a historian. Restaurants. No, no, no. There was only a couple in Old Town. I can name a bunch. You could park your car on Well Street for five fucking weeks no, and they would give you a, a ticket. There were a lot of little bars. What the fuck knows. does it have to do with bars? There was nothing going on. There was Mercer's. Remember Mercer's? There was On the other side, there was a couple little ones. After prostitution, drinking yes. would be the oldest occupation. If, I can well, guarantee if you if that in this neighborhood of delinquents. Quit, quit, quit arguing and go back to... All right, O'Rourke. go back. Whatever the fuck you're talking about, O'Rourke's. O'Rourke's was so they all had of a sudden. Nice bar. Let's have an Irish bar in Old Town. There yeah. weren't any. Right, right. right. Novel idea. So, 
They had Bruce, the newspapers and everything in the original one. Bruce, Bruce, Bruce Oxford. And one of them, whoever it was, I didn't know yeah, about he, the other guy. Yeah, yeah. They had the great big photographs, blown up photographs of O'Casey, Joyce being. Um, so, true Irish literary bar. What was, yeah, it was clever. Okay. And they had really interesting quotes from the guys printed below. Okay. And it, but the original bar was kind of high, high end, it was kind of brass. You mean expensive compared to other No, bars? not expensive, but I mean the decor. Was yeah, kind it was of, nice. But yeah. It was just like... Well, no, no, believe me, when they... It was... Uh, well, you're right. It, uh, you went to the rear, and there was a reading area. Uh, yeah. What they had uh, newspapers like libraries do. I sure. And, they and the wooden things? Right enough. Uh, it was Larry, whatchamacallit's concert, or maybe Bruce, too. We'll make it like some bars in, in Dublin. Oh, it was neat looking. It was read. authentic. Yeah, well, there was nothing like it in, 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 no, in, no, in no. the neighborhood. Sure, sure, sure. So anyway, one day, now, I hear Oxford was very good at building bars, but terrible businessman, just right. like E.J. Van Gelder. And his wife. Well, actually, Van Gelder was a pretty good businessman. Yeah, his wife, what was her name, Doris Oxford? Yes, that's like right. That. So anyway, he sells the bar. I mean, he's because I can't pay the rent. Something happens. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't have spent the no, money wait. on all the fixtures. Wait, urban say? renewed. They were urban renewed. Oh, they wait, were. They, no. they took they took that whole block away. Well, that's I mean, when Willie Kill carries. Well, that's what I that's what I was going to come up with because now the bars anyway the bar goes down. Bruce Oxford is going to open a brand new bar up on Lincoln Avenue. So I'm sitting in the alehouse. This is about not yet, Bruce. That was later. But go ahead. When when Will bought the bar, when he bought the inside uh, of the uh, bar, uh, uh, Bruce didn't go exa- over the Lincoln. Oh, I'm, I'm just he, talking. He about, bought Albertos first. Well, okay. I, I'm just talking about the move. Right. So there's a Mexican restaurant right. which you probably should remember from your childhood. Or what, year, what year is this? About '64. Yeah, I was not born in the '60s. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Oh, you, when were you born? '73. Oh, okay. Well, you probably don't remember. <laughs> God damn. We sh- we shouldn't be swearing like this in front of this lady. Yeah, she really. No, she swears a lot. Are you shitting me? <laughs> so anyway, does she, I, does I, she know I, about Judge Kavanaugh? Yeah, she does. Some of those things? Yeah, she knows about getting molested. So, um... I'm very confused right now. Okay. This guy, Will Kilcarry, who was a real... Nice, now, he was not totally... Bruce Oxford was kind of a character, but he was... I mean, he was somebody, some of you wouldn't want to really hang around well, Bruce, with. Bruce, what made the bar were the bartenders. Jay Kovar and... Well, now, you're talking were, over here. Okay, wait, let's no, pause. You guys are I'm confusing there. the hell oh, out he of me. Oh, he was over there? Oh, and there, you know. Uh, the, well, because you keep the, interrupting. The, the, oh, my God. They, they, they were pretty hip guys, you know. They, so, he, I, uh, Jay was originally over there, Yes. Right? Oh, and okay. uh, so I remember one day I'm talking to this beautiful woman. I worked nights at UPI then, and so sometimes I drink in the daytime. And oh, I, I can't believe that. <laughs> yes. So I'm drinking there, and I love this girl, June. I'm in the boot that we're going places. Some, I'm, uh, it turns out she's the wife of. Uh, well, the wife part scared me. Then the wife of who? Well, the other night, the wife of who? Max Merrick. 
Oh, Max Miller fought Joe Lewis. The only oh. guy to beat Joe Lewis. Yeah, <laughs> he's really? an amateur. He had a bar right over really? on. Really? Uh, he had a bar in Fort. No, no, yeah. What was that called? Up on nine. Max Merck's. Oh yeah, up oh. on nine. Yeah, he that died. was funny too. The bar yeah, he he, opened, he beat Joe Lewis. The okay. bar he opened over there. Max opened up an uh, antique store. And that's what he was doing when I'm hitting on June. <laughs> don't know that. that was his wife? Yeah. Uh, Wait a minute. And, uh, that, does that antique store still exist? But, but he had the antique store, so he was particular about how he wanted his bar to look. When you open a bar, they'll hang a sign for you, the beer company, you know. Yeah, sure. Uh, but Max didn't want a, a, a regular just... Caps or something. Sure. So he, he asked every beer company. He had his own sign made, a handmade, old-fashioned boxer. The oh, name cool. of the place was up on nine. It was all wood and good looking. And he said, "Would you hang my sign, not yours?" Now all the but beer did the beer company need to put their name on his sign too? No. And they all said no. Yeah. Why would they? Except perhaps. Perhaps you sure will hang your sign. He said, you're my man. That's the only beer he had, though. Up on nine. Jeanette Prosco That's the Chicago a way right there. So you, go, if you went into up on nine. Uh, you know, three people would come in and say, yeah, I'll have a Schlitz, I'll have a Bud. I, and Max would say, gotcha. He'd tear the label on everything. <laughs> <laughs> all, he had, all he had was Pat's because they hung his sign. Well, anyway, like let's it. get back. Let's get okay, back wait, to so O'Rourke. You know how I like my timelines. So yeah. O'Rourke's was originally around the corner, right? So, so north, I've, north. Listen, north on Well Street, north of North Avenue. Uh, what, what, ha- what happened to a lot of places? Liz, they just closed because you got pretty good money when you got relocated. So what year did O'Rourke's close at that location? Probably sixty-four. Yeah. Okay. What so did they immediate, mo- no, immediately immediately move? You know, no, probably later. Bruce, I want to explain. Matter. It doesn't really make a fucking difference whether it was sixty-four or sixty-five. It, right. It was 66. before. It was, it was, no, it was before 67 because I left town to see. So yeah, this, it might have been 66 or 69. All right. I don't give a shit. I anyway, I was, at, look, I was sitting in the alehouse. <laughs> all of a sudden, I see Willie, Will Kill Carey. Will. He wasn't Willie. It was Will. And he was this kind of uh, crazy little Irish guy. And he's Younger. walking back and back and forth between the Well Street O'Rourke's. And he, there was a, there was this Mexican grocery store that sold tacos for a quarter, and they were good. Orleans and North. Or, yeah, Orleans yeah. and North. So he ran. The, he the, that little Mexican grocery store closes, and Will's with a couple people helping them. And I'm sitting here talking to the people in the bar. I said, "That's nuts! You can't move a bar." Well, that's you know, that was my philosophy, which was certainly proven wrong. He simply moved all of the inside stuff of that works into the Mexican grocery store. I mean, they moved it down the street. They, they, they put it on... Wait, the, this, is, this sounds like an old-town bar trend, because that's what happened to the alehouse. Kind of. Well, after the fire, but... Right. Yeah, they went across the street. Yeah, it was just across the street. Still? You see how uh, insular we were in those days. I thought, oh, works is going way too far west. Well, it was, that was dicey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was some shit happening. The crowd won't follow them that far. We got too many nice bars over here on Well Street, but that was wrong. Yeah. So, 
so anyway, they um, now it, it was, it, and it was, it was really funky in there. And they had a the heating was this big old stove, gas, but you know, whatever they call those, hot belly, hot belly stove, right that, in the that, middle of the bar. That worked. It heated it. Well, it, it did heat if you were right by it. So now it cuts O'Rourke's. Got the same photographs, all this stuff. The jukebox is loaded with Irish music. Clancy Brothers, Clancy Brothers, Clancy Brothers. Now, nothing much is happening with it. I mean, the Ale House and Sunny had their hardcore yeah. uh, uh, customers. But McHugh, our friend McHugh, Mick, loves the idea. He liked Will Kilcare. He liked the whole concept. And he's a journalist at the time. So he, he's he and I worked the overnight together. So guys like Tui and McHugh start bringing people to O'Rourke's. And all of a sudden it becomes this kind of in bar. And this is when newspapers... Well, they brought Ebert in and that brought it Well, that was, that was now... So wait, Tui, would you say you're responsible for bringing Roger Ebert into O'Rourke's? No, McHugh was. McHugh was. McHugh was. Okay. McHugh was his best friend. And now, Ebert got, I got, I mentioned that on his blog one time, he went ape shit. He said, I did not come in because of McHugh. I came in because of Nan Kilcary, who was Will's Who sister. I worked with at UPI. Did you? And he who said. Was that? that? was Will Kilcary's sister, wasn't it? Sister? Or, I think it was sister. Yes. And. Now who's Nan Kilcary? I'm sorry, Will Kilcary? What the fucking guy that bought the goddamn bar, dipshit? Uh, Jesus Christ, pay fucking attention. Trying to lay out the facts for everyone listening because you guys are fucking talking of a storm. It's really hard to keep track. Yeah, learn to listen. Learn something. They had, among the original bartenders at O'Rourke's was uh, Jay Kovar, (laughs) one of the Star Brothers, Oh God, the Star Brothers! What a bunch of fucking but, losers! Uh, Bob, no, Bob Star, Bob I think. Star. Bob Star. He was the, he was the, the yeah, only so, semi-non-loser in that fucking yeah. family. But anyway, of these original bartenders, one of them was Will Kilcarry. He came in a little bit later, but still, at the time of the closing, because of Urban Renewal, uh, uh, you could take the money and run, but. Uh, Instead, he went, Will had this idea. A lot of people thought it was a lightweight, but he, he thought this is a good bar and it could work in another location. He went to his father and borrowed enough money to pay off Bruce and stuff. Uh, hey, you are. They, see, they, they, Oxford, they, asshole. They, uh, they, the guys that owned it were, were going to get a certain amount of money from the city for relocation. Anyway, it was... Willie said, I thought, so he just, and, and Jay was one of them. They, they, they just picked up the shit and moved it themselves, you know. On the, why, why, why not? And, and big, was Big Jim was Willie's nephew or something? Uh, he, he was the younger brother of Nan. Oh, oh, she, oh, he was. And he was going to the University of Miami, well, what, majoring well, in oceanography, and he came up. Well, he was a football player, huge Big well, he was a huge guy, but he didn't play nothing. I thought he played football. Man. Nah, just a big, good-looking guy. Well, I thought I was under the impression he played football. He well, did, but he didn't play nothing. He picked. It, it doesn't got, hurt for people to think he that. He was a strong motherfucker. When I was beating the shit out of Jim Belushi, and I had him in the corner, pinned in, and I had him tucked, and nobody could break the fight up, 
Big Jim finally lifted us both up and carried us outside. So well, Lucy or Clark? Oh, the Clark. His good pal, Jack Clark. I kicked the who, shit out of your good friend, Jack Clark, who was uh, twice uh, as big as me, by the way. Uh, twice you as got, You got in a fight with Belushi, too? Jim Belushi, not John. Yeah, Jim, yeah. I pounded the shit out of him. But uh, his good friend, Vince, couldn't go to work for like two, three weeks. <laughs> wow, what an asshole. You, you. Oh, I just Why start are you to laughing fight. about I that? I just start the fight. He started the fight. And his wife was sitting next to me. Toby was sitting there. There was about three, four people sitting there. And I had just gotten, and Toby just got me these beautiful Gucci loafers out of a thrift store. You wore loafers? Well, I wore them then. I mean, Toby, they were beautiful. They were so comfortable. <laughs> and I completely destroyed them when I was, because his pal, Vince, who was big fuck, came over and he says, Hey, I don't like the way you're talking about people down there. He was the a 4 a.m. bartender here for a while. Yeah, he was. Anyway, remember when we used to come in and they'd have all those big guys on the door, and then they got two girls and they handled it better. Yeah, than they all don't, the big there weren't guys. any fights. Um, yeah, but this guy Jay Cobar, we're, we're on a roll. We're on a roll. Okay. I'm just telling you. Yeah, you always right. tell me that. Why don't you always blame me for going over? No, I don't. <laughs> now we're on a roll. Now we're on a roll. All right, all right because we gotta get this. Because Cobar. Uh, hey, listen, I'm listening. So anyway, will. Gets this bar going. Well, now he, once we once Ebert becomes a big deal, all of a sudden you got Charlton Heston, Jane Russell. I mean, Mel Brooks, uh, Norman. Yeah, Mayler. there's a great picture of Ebert chatting with Charlton Heston. Yeah, I mean the the bar was he was bringing all, people from all these big movie stars. He bring them to a award. Well, see, uh, Ebert became a critic of newspapers. At a, a vortex of a time when people started taking movies, young people started taking movies seriously again. Uh, in the 50s, when I was in high school, you know, movies were movies. Uh, the next generation comes along, and Ebert was one of them. Ebert grew up in Champaign, Urbana, and he knew about art movies and all this stuff. And before Ebert, the news, the daily newspaper uh, movie critics were just an extension of the advertising. Yeah, they had generic critics. If, if you advertised in the paper, they'd give your movie a great uh, review. Ebert was one of the first to change that. To take he, he really to, was the first. Oh yeah. yeah. And and. Uh, uh, Plus, he saw movies as two different ways, uh, that you had to rate a movie based on what it tried to do. Now, you, he said you can't make, uh, a, 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 if you're trying to make a good Western, don't try to compare it with one of these, you know, Hamlet. See what they're trying to do when they make the movie, if it's a good one. So anyway, he took a lot of snobbery out of it. Uh, uh, Time Magazine, you know, they call their section Cinema, and he. <laughs> and well, so Pauline Paul Kale was probably the only. Anyway, New Yorker uh, was and the only. Then another thing, just along with that, the other thing Ebert did in was movie critics. Besides being just PR men for the movies, they would interview people, you know, like at the pump hall. And, and, yes. Ebert, and Ebert said, like, yeah, so, like, what, you know, so when uh, uh, movie stars would come to town and he was going to do a, 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 a feature on them, 
He said, why should I go to the pump room? I don't drink at the pump room. I'll take them where I drink. It works. The place that the queue took me to originally. Yeah, yeah Carrie Fisher come in. You kind of so brush that, up a beggar in the ass. So that's how it started. Hell, really? But but it works. Other than that, it's just a neighborhood salon. So anyway, Roger builds this as gradually. And you come in and you see McHugh and Roger and their overcoats in the middle, like in February, with scarves sitting around their drinking beer, sitting around that. Uh, that potbelly stove. I mean, before that, that was in its kind of. So, give me an approximate date on when O'Rourke's was at its prime. I would say about 68, seven, 9, or 70. When, when, when did Roger stop, stop drinking? About 71, 72? Shit, that long ago? Yeah. Because that, that changed drastically. Well, it, that, that, that it, made O'Rourke's it, it, it tumble, really right? It, it, it did not change, I don't think. No, it changed. I mean, all the... Ebert changed. But it, not, not no, but, well, what Ebert... I remember when Ebert, when he finally quit, he had to quit drinking. There was no doubt about this. But I remember, so he quits drinking about 71 or 2, I think. And I mean, he pulled out, he had this, he pulled out, he did a U-turn on North Avenue, almost got run over by the North Avenue bus. I mean, he was really fucked up. And so he goes to, gets, goes to uh, AA. But he would come into the ale, into uh, O'Rourke's, and he had, now by then, he was a big deal, he had all these fans, and they'd be in there. And he'd come up and he'd be proselytized. He'd say, hey, you guys ought to try this AA. It's really great. There was a, The mustard seed at the time, I think, was on LaSalle. And he was bringing, getting all of Kovar's customers. Well, Jeanette, Kovar, and Big Jim. I think they all still had the bar as partners. And um, I said, after two weeks of this, I said, Ebert, you have a life-threatening disease. It's not alcoholism. It's called fucking obesity. Would you please stop coming in here with this bullshit about you can't drink doesn't mean we can't fucking drink. <laughs> so he didn't speak to me for a couple of years. But, Shocker. But anyway, the, re, what, the way it, it, before that happened. Well, if that story's true. Before that. Bruce was right. Before that happened, um, Will. Was uh, was he a drunk? Was he a bad drunk? I, I didn't know him to be a bad drunk. He <laughs> he didn't have a large capacity. Does uh, he get drunk all the time? I know. Low that. tolerance. He yes, and uh, you know he'd open up at seven a.m. on St. Patrick's Day. That's they a good Chicago one for you. And by ten a.m. He'd be passed out and sleeping on the shelf above the. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. and, and the and he would he would tap into the cash register. He'd come in there oh, and pull money. So anyway, he fucked. He couldn't no, pay his well, license. No, he fucked it up. No, the bartenders had a meeting. Jay, and Jeanette, whoever, Jeanette, Jeanette, and, and Big Jim. And they decided that they, they, what it amounted to one one of the, what do you call those things? An interference. Intervention. Intervention. <laughs> They said, we'll make all of the decisions. Pass interference. Yeah. Beer pass interference. Yeah. Yeah. You just keep away. <laughs> you can come in and have a beer or two, but that's it. They put them on a limit, I think. Okay, so let's, just to summarize. Well, Kovar ends up with the bars, to summary. He, he, they, the three of them eventually bought Will out. And then Kovar eventually buys Big Jim and Jeanette out. Now, interestingly enough, it was an Irish bar... Jeanette was Japanese, Big Jim was a Swede, and Kovar was Jewish. And they're running this 
really popular but again, Irish bar. Again, that's very Chicago. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, Jay was a heavy drinker. I mean, he oh, drank that veal. He, he could drink. He, he, yeah, he'd come in. He'd have a fifth there, and it'd be gone by. He drink veal and veal all night Straight. long, and never Gross. changed. And uh, he's a chain smoker. And I, I, I used to say, there are five drunk Jews in America. I know them all. <laughs> They're all friends. Well, of we mine. certainly <laughs> did know a lot of them. No question about that. Anyway, so to summarize, because we're not doing justice to this story. Uh, I know. I want there's there's so many awesome bars well, from Chicago history that I want to dig yeah, deep but into. This one O'Rourke's is, is incredibly special. Yes, it is. I feel like it's a topic we're going to so revisit. So I think per- perhaps we'll. Well, hang on a second. We'll we'll re. One hundred percent. But I just want to quickly package it up nicely because it helps me and my brain, and I think it can potentially help other people. So O'Rourke's gets established in the 60s on Well Street, just north of North Avenue. Uh, a unique novel concept, uh, an Irish bar, literary focused, and then eventually... Well, thanks to McHugh and Ebert. I, I'm, I'm getting there, for fuck's sake. Later. Yeah, thank you, Tui. It was mostly neighborhood. When it, not when they're... First, well, I, I, I'm going right. to the gold goddamn Tui's timeline. Wrong. Tui's wrong. You take the bar... That. The guy runs out of money. Other people buy it. They move it, physically move it, yeah. to Wells. I'm sorry, to North Avenue West, yeah. Orleans. And people, new people take it over, but it becomes truly like a, a paperman's newspaper, journalist yeah. bar, and TV, a TV media, media, actually, the journalist bar, which not, is appropriate since it's rooted in, in, in uh, literature, right? Yeah. And Roger Ebert takes it to a whole other level. And it becomes a Chicago institution until it doesn't. And it closes. Well, one person, I would love to see Rourke's 2.0 happen. And the person who I think should do it is Rick Kogan. Well, one of the. Rick, if you're listening. Talk to Rick, but uh, one thing I'm missing in the narrative is that when on Friday and Saturday night, when all bars get more crowded and there's people outside of the neighborhood coming in, day in and day out, the people that went to O'Rourke's lived around here, including Eber, including McHugh, right. including yeah. Bruce, all including me, including yeah, Mike. Uh, it was a good neighborhood bar. It was a terrific right. and bar. I think th- and the, the fame part was a pain in the ass. Of course. It, 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 like it is here for us, right? Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, you're right. I wouldn't go yeah. in there on Friday night a lot of times. I'll work. No, you don't come I, in here. I, right. I wanted to go in. Yeah, well, it was but the other, bad. but the other, uh, a thing about O'Rourke's is because of its clientele, it was usually busy earlier in the day than most bars were busy. Well, they had, they had. Well, so was this one at the time. They had oh, the, the blue, yeah. whole blue collar thing. Um, what in the journalism uh, vernacular, they referred to what they called the Bermuda Triangle. Got, now it was really actually. Right down where all the newspapers at the time were right by by Billy Goat, right on Michigan and Wacker, right there. And uh, the, the newspaper people get off work, they would go, especially on week. well, that was on weekends, too. That was Jim Warren's. Uh, uh, well, it, it, well, oh, God, talk well, about We never a, called him. Talk a, about a fucking try, asshole. Uh, well, he was the one that invented the well, term. Well, that's, it was, all right, well, that was a term that was used. We drank at this bar and that bar. And but they would go, they'd start one. out the Billy Goat or um, well, Figaro. Ricardo, I mean, now, Ricardo's, Ricardo's. Ricardo's. Then they would go to O'Rourke's. 
And then the ones that were still standing would come here at two in the morning. And Colt, and we, I, yeah, we didn't have to do another show on Cobra because there was, he was fucking. I don't think you should focus on doing our, a show on Cobra. I think you're just, we're going to need, this is well, going to no, be a I thread right. throughout this whole Well, let me, let me, let me get this in. Arthur had this young girlfriend who I nicknamed Rita the Rhino because she was a little fat. So, oh, but she was kind of, she was only like 20 when she showed up in the neighborhood. And, um, she so, had an older sister, Gail. Gail the whale. And, oh, uh, my God, so you guys. We, in fact, his wife and I used to, every year on the blackboard, we'd have a contest. Thinnest Ryan's sister, and we'd never have a winner. Every year there'd be no winner. So. Wow. So, anyway, Kova dumps his fucking wife. And Patsy. Patsy, yeah, Patsy Kova. No, I see her every once in a while. Do you? Uh, I'm sure she's not shedding any tears with the death of her fucking uh, ex-husband. I know that for a fact. I know his stepdaughter's not either. So, Kova would get off work. He'd be working eight fucking hard hours on a weekend over at work. Come back, come here at two, jumping in the bar and helping Rita bartend. And so, anyway, he rips off Rita from Arthur, which is the greatest thing he ever did for Arthur, getting rid of that fucking boy. But I told, I told, uh, I told, uh, I told uh, Rita, I said, you got a fucking bar owner? You picked the closest one down the fucking street? The fuck? What the fuck kind of thing is that? It sounds like a very old town 60s thing to do. Well, I guess. Oh, you're walking down the street? Let's have sex. <laughs> no, he really bird dogged her. Whatever. Yes, yeah, she was. All right, we uh, got we got to wrap I, this I up. I never quite knew why, but she, uh, yeah, I, I I liked Rita, and I, I thought she was attractive enough. But some people thought she was some kind of knockout. Uh, oh God! I I I I, had, I I made a great song. Rita's just another word for nothing left to lose. It sounds like a Beatles song to me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that too. Whatever. Anyway, anyway, all right, he says up. he doesn't Wrap like up. music. Wrap he lies. Up. He's less. Uh, Tui, thanks for being our guest again. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Always love your stories. I do too. Um, and so is you, Craig Mike. I, I think everybody does. Jordan, congrats on the marathon. Yeah, Jordan. Very Fantastic good. accomplishment. Look, look at this guy. He doesn't have a fucking pound of body a body fat. I know. I know. How does he do that shit? Up in Illinois. Uh. uh Lindy took a liking to you. Uh, oh yeah, day. yeah, I know. Yeah, Jordan. I think Jordan was is supposed to collect on some free gym shoes. <laughs> Did you visit her shop? Oh, that's oh, too I bad. Think, well, I think we haven't seen. <laughs> that was fun to way. watch. Anyway, thank you, Jordan, yeah. for being here. Ruth, I so appreciate you always being here because my thirst is always quenched. Sorry I'm late, but Bruce ditched me. He had to leave at 5 after 6. Yeah, because I would have... 7.30. Yeah, I would have showed up at the same time you did. You know what? This, this shit's getting old. No, no. The train got delayed by you about took a train. Minutes. You took a train? Yes. Yes. She's drinking tonight. Oh, speaking of, I bet you we're going to get Jordan nice and ripped tonight because he's it's his first week after the marathon because he used to control himself. I can only have a couple beers... I got to go home to bed early. Oh, he was in training. Yeah, now he's not oh, training no more. <laughs> I noticed he's been The only training he's going to do tonight is some 16-ounce oh. curls. Where, where, where do you live, Jordan? How far from here? Logan Square. He lives in Logan Square. Oh, that's Square. not there. No, it's a cor- 
easy cab ride. How so did you learn this stuff? That's exciting. This uh, engineering stuff. He went to school. And then they teach you a bunch of techniques. Chewy, that's not complicated. I mean, yeah, you go to school, you learn how to do that. I'm sorry, I, I was. I know you did go to IIT. <laughs> I thought maybe he could answer the technical stuff. See, the, the, the thing is that Bruce only cool. thinks that he's got interesting things to say. Nobody else. No, I think it's interesting, but it's basic shit. You want to learn how to work all these wires? You Bruce, go to technical Bruce school. Bruce gets irritated when I ask questions. I know he does. He does it. You, he I, thinks I'm I mean, so stupid. Why I don't you? It. Why do you I ask questions? It, I, with Tui, Tui, Tui has interrogation. What you introduce him to a hot chick? You say, hey, Tui, then. Does an interviewer for her fucking life story? He's not trying to get pussy. I don't know what he's trying to do. I think you're just feisty tonight. No, I'm not. Yeah, you're, you're annoying. The, you're you're the, annoying. You're in a That's special all. mood tonight. I'm not in a special mood, but you really are especially annoying tonight. That's Me? All. Yeah, you. What did I do? You're acting like this little, a privileged little Latina smartass. <laughs> That's what you're doing. That is comedy. Yeah, that is it is comedy. comedy. You know what Anya told me when I walked in the door? Who's Ina? The bartender, one of the bartenders. She said to me, congrats on the exhibit. And I go, oh, how did you know? She's like, well, I saw it on the news. And I go, what? Really? She good. said, yeah, it was on ABC News. That's good. So so there, Bruce. Well, yeah. I, hey, it's because of me. You know, <laughs> my fame is rubbing off on you. It, it's true. It's true. I know. You got up with me every day. Did the I work. I expect you to thank me. Did but, the work yeah. to Bruce, build the exhibit. Bruce, if it were you, they'd want to see her naked. They just, oh, no. they, just, talk they just want to talk to her because she's good. No, they, they know that she's part of uh, the geniuses. All right, uh, all right. Well, uh, listen, everybody. Thanks for another sort of great show. I don't, I don't even know what this was tonight. Well, see, you're, all right, you're supposed stop, to be a historian. Just stop. Just stop. You're supposed to be a historian. Just stop. You got to walk down uh, Old Town History tonight. I had to help you along the way. Oh, really? Yeah. How did you help? Because I don't By think... By interrupting? You... Listen, everybody. <laughs> Thank you very much for uh, tuning in. We always appreciate your attentiveness, even when Bruce is... Yeah, I appreciate your attentive su- attentiveness Being crazy. some night. God, I'm having trouble. <laughs> Say goodnight, genius. Goodnight, genius. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will catch you again next time.